Hello and welcome to yet another edition of Britainology. It is a it's a rare all all remote edition. <laughs> um, we're we're reliving peak lockdown here. Um, I am Milo Edwards, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Nate Bethay. Hello, lovely day. Um, I've been stricken by an unknown illness that is not COVID, and so I am at home today. Mm. Nate's got the vapors. <laughs> you have a form of COVID that has yet to be discovered. You have the Zeta variant. Exactly. And it only manifests <laughs> itself with uh, old age, fatigue, and diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Nate's got boomer COVID. <laughs> Speaking of Which old age, fatigue, COVID. and diarrhea, Alice Caldwell Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be joined by IBS consultant, <laughs> as always. That's right. Yeah, how are you Happy doing? Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Uh, and the reason, the reason why we've got Alice, Alice on, aside from uh, IBS commentary, is that uh, we want to talk about, uh, I think, one of the most long-running and British TV series of all time, mm. Grand Designs. Um, this is an episode of Britainology that Alice has personally lobbied for, but I am, yes. I'm extremely behind it because I grew up watching this show because my parents are massive interior design heads and would watch it religiously. And I really cannot convey how insane the people who go on this show are. Yeah, and it's a particular kind of like middle class English psychosis also. Because you used to get mm. all of these sort of like house shows in a sort of block in the middle of the afternoon. So you'd have this and yeah. you'd have like Escape to the Country, which was like people oh. moving to the middle of nowhere. Escape and all to kinds the Country of, fucking sucks. Yeah, all kinds of shit like this. But like to me, the standout was always Grand Designs, which is about mm. middle class people who have made enough money that what they want to do is to build their own home from scratch. Yeah. And I feel like a great a great companion show to this, which we can talk about as well, is Homes Under the Hammer. Because mm. I feel like they kind of they occupy like two different segments of, of the same concept, which is like either building or renovating a house. Um, where Grand Designs is at the very top where like we have this absolutely insane idea which will cost more money than God has to realize. <laughs> um, and then Homes Under the Hammer is like, I am Landlord Baz. I have bought eight council houses that are extremely <laughs> derelict at auction and I'm going to make them minimally habitable and rent them out to yeah. Romanians. And, and <laughs> what's really funny is that like all of these shows, they're, they're all... Uh, on in the daytime, they're all on terrestrial mm. TV on Freeview, yeah. and so the two ways you can come to these shows. Yeah, I are think Grand either... Designs was an evening one, but most of them mm. are. It was they would have yeah. rerun it in the day for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but like, there's two ways you can come to these shows. One mm. is, uh, you know, your parents are into them when you're growing up. The other is you're a student or you're like on benefits or something where you have a lot of free time in the day uh, and absolutely no money. And so you have like essentially five channels and what's going to be yeah. on them for the most part is houses for some reason, just as part of a general obsession with, with property. Yeah. You're on benefits. You've got no money. You're watching grand designs. You're thinking, I wish I lived in that house. And then you switch yeah. over to homes under the hammer and you're like, wait, I do live in that house. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that or countdown is the thing. <laughs> Countdown probably the least cursed option. You know, you might get a bit of um, you might get some slightly pro IDF rhetoric, but otherwise, um, you know, pretty pretty uncursed. That could be a Britainology in and of itself, to be honest. 
Mm. Um, so to bring bring the listener in on on what's happened here, um, Alice picked out a Grand Designs episode that I actually hadn't seen, but I, I think she chose very well in it. I think it is kind Thank of you. the uh, text of just demonstrating how insane like the Grand Designs concept yes. is. Alice it, and I it, watched it, that episode. It, yeah. Due to a uh, design error on the All4 website, Nate watched a completely different episode. <laughs> yeah, so we're now doing book report. Uh, like, mm. Nate is going to explain the one that he saw, and we're going to talk him through the one that we saw, which, if you're mm. at all familiar with Grand Designs, you may already know, it's the Lighthouse episode. Yeah. So I wish... We- we discovered this because at the start we were doing a bit of pre-show chat and Alice and I were just saying how crazy this episode is and like how fucking bleak it gets and all this stuff. And Nate was like, I'm going to have to disagree with you. The house was quite nice. It was only £100,000 over budget. And we're like, oh, you watched a different episode. That's what happened here. <laughs> There's no way you're talking about the same show. So I watched the Bunker episode and I watched the revisited. Oh, the Albanian Grand Design. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Hosha-ist episode. No, uh, <laughs> the Bunker episode is basically about a Scottish guy named Adrian and his wife Megan and their three kids who have impossibly posh names that I've forgotten, but they're ridiculous. Um, mm. And Adrian uh, fell in love with concrete and brutalism, probably because he grew up in Glasgow, but also because he was a BMX racer as a kid. And, and he, because uh, he's a host. He, and he, he, he loves he, he loves the feel of concrete. So he wants to build a home uh, solidly out of concrete in a brutalist style on a plot of land uh, that they purchased in West Sussex that has an old bungalow on it that they have to have demolished. And then subsequently, they're going to build this. And he's gone to Switzerland with his architect to find like certain kinds of, of insulated concrete and load-bearing concrete to kind of avoid the problems of solid concrete construction, uh, which involves them having to make Baz Contractor basically mix this weird precision concrete that's insulated and that uh, technically speaking wouldn't require rebar but they wind up having to use rebar anyway because British builders just won't do it because they're like it's literally going to crack um, mm. so by the time the, the project takes forever and by the time that they complete they, they're they're nearly complete it seems like a money pit they're not really living in it because it's leaking and there's problems with it um, and it, it just looks it, 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 it seems like a very very interesting elegant design if you like, I mean, it's sort of like they, they've they've decorated it sort of like upmarket live laugh love Barbican, but it's 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 right, not okay. bad, and the, the concept's not bad. But then when they revisit it two years later, it's actually quite nice. They've he, the the Adrian has kind of compromised on some of his notions of like no refinement, no details, no no uh, resin ceiling. It's just raw fucking concrete, and it actually winds up looking very nice. The kids like it. The kids' friends like it. It seems it just. It worked out in a way that's almost kind of is charming, and it was it was only like I said, it's about a hundred thousand pounds mm. over their planned budget. Which, if you is this the one in Lewis in East Sussex? It might be, yeah, um, just, yeah, Adrian, yeah. I'm just I'm just looking at some pictures yeah. of it. The one, um, the one, yeah. the one we saw. It looks saw. like Churchill College, Cambridge. <laughs> the the one we saw did not work out this well. So mm. so, and I don't know if yours, uh, if they would do a revisited down the road, if it does wind up working out. I imagine if you'd seen the end of this one. Um, in its initial viewing, you would have thought, wow, what a fucking disaster. Uh, one, one of the things that makes it interesting is that Adrian's job is that he is a, an underwater maintenance tech for oil platforms. So he mm. does scuba diving to maintain oil uh. platforms in the North Sea. So the problem is in order to go make money at times when this project runs out of cash, he has to disappear to the North Sea to I go underwater. He just has to fuck off for six months. And yeah. leave his wife as a project manager because he's opted to be the project manager on this project. And so she has to, you know, drop off 
their three kids with her parents and then go put on a hard hat and manage this project of a, a solid concrete house. So that's, that's for old that's Adrian. A, He's got a fit wife. The, the, two, two classic tropes of grand designs here. <laughs> One, uh, having a weird job. Usually it's more of a sort of a nonsense job. Like, I- essentially... Such as the, the, the guy in the lighthouse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the way the a Grand Designs episode usually starts is we meet the couple who are going to mm. build the house. And it's always like, you know, at Andrew and Ginny, you know, uh, Ginny is like a, a a poster frame restorer, and uh, <laughs> and Andrew was like, I, I I don't know, he he works selling like widgets. Their budget is fifteen mm. trillion pounds, yeah. <laughs> and they're gonna go over it. So yes. in, in the case in the case of the bunker, they they paid five hundred thousand pounds for the bungalow, knocked it down, and the budget was originally supposed to be four hundred thousand pounds for the home. It wound up costing them about five hundred thousand to complete it, but in the end, they actually seemed quite happy with it. Um, and Adrian seems humbled at the end. Basically, he said there's some accent details he's thought mm-hmm. about adding, like a front wall and stuff. But he says I can't even bring myself to book someone to come and mix concrete anymore. Like I've kind of gotten my fill of concrete. <laughs> oh, um, he's done. He's done a version therapy with concrete. They made him. They yeah. made him smoke a whole pack of concrete, and now he doesn't want anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I noticed about it was because of. I mean, Did it you was just. Have you ever felt like this? <laughs> 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 but, but, <laughs> I have to leave my wife in charge of the bunkers. <laughs> I, 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 I came away from it probably more sympathetic towards the couple and less sympathetic towards the show because they kept. Because of the fact that brutalism is associated with, you know, a kind of utopian housing policy in the UK and and generally throughout Western Europe, uh, they kept basically just being incredibly condescending to this guy. And it's just sort of like, well, I mean, all right, shit's not working out as planned from the from the jump, but you can't you can't act like this guy is just going into it like it's some sort of weird folly. Like he's clearly done his fucking homework. He managed to negotiate a licensing detail, a licensing deal with a Swiss company to test out their like specialty concrete and stuff. What you've Mm. done there is you've seen the only episode of Grand Designs that was not predicated on folly. Is the thing. Uh, Uh, Well, that's the thing because it was revisited. If you had watched it at the end of the original, it would have seemed very very bleak because the house wasn't being lived in half of it was un it was you know incomplete the roof mm. was leaking they the, it didn't have uh i don't think it had power on yet and mm. it just looked like they had sunk a lot of money into a thing that wound up looking like uh <laughs> the best thing i could describe it as is it looks like the fake villages they made us practice like fucking <laughs> urban warfare in when i was <laughs> in the army like, like it looks like they paid four hundred thousand pounds to live in a close quarters battle training ground <laughs> going to have to kill some insurgents who are all in the cuckoo clock restoration business <laughs> they live in solid concrete houses <laughs> Also, right. the other the other thing in Grand Designs, the other recurring theme that mm. you've identified here is uh, what what the wife in that couple is doing, which is usually like being the longest suffering woman in the world. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, you do sometimes. You get you get a red uh, Grand Designs where it's a real like the couple are really in it together, but like yeah. almost all of the time, it's a guy who is about to get divorced. Yes. And you, yes. you're just like slowly There's, watching it happen in real time. Yeah, half half of the point of this show, I feel, could like is essentially distillable down to adding a big divorceometer mm. on the side of the screen, and you kind of watch yeah. it go up and up and up. 
this is essentially a feeder show for like Judge Judy. Also, the other thing is they always get pregnant at some point. This doesn't happen mm. in like either of the ones we saw, but like usually, because I've seen a lot of Grand Designs, I'm slightly mm. obsessed. And one of the most common things to happen in Grand Designs is they get like, you know, six months into building a house. It's like a sort of concrete Führer bunker looking shell. They're living in like a, a static caravan on the building site. And then, the wife gets pregnant and it's just like it becomes a, a whole extra layer of stress because now they have to have a you know a house within nine months and it's just yeah. I, I think it's i think it's delightful that you know yeah. we, we can you know it's it's an experiment in watching human hubris which oh, I'm yeah. a big fan of. It is very I love funny seeing to- a PR consultant warming up some baby formula milk on a Trangier in a cagoule. <laughs> yes. Like, you know. <laughs> yes. It, it is it, pure schadenfreude. It is very mm. funny, too, because uh, in the episode that I watched, when you first meet the couple and the family, like, their kids are quite young. Their kids look like they're probably, you know, nine, six, and three or four. Mm. And then by the end of it, because it takes so long by the time that you get to the final revisited version, like like the the older kids are basically tweens. I think one of them, he's, his, the sound of his voice makes you think he's probably about 12 or 13. And he says, like, his friends like the house, but mm. when he first started going to his new school, they're like, oh, you're the kid who lives in the nuclear silo? And they just said, <laughs> he said his nickname was, was Nuke Boy for a while. And I was just like, oh, I love England so you much. You have to British school. A fucking sane country. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Chernobyl boy. Um, <laughs> well, uh, allow Alice and I to raise you the fucking the two daughters in the lighthouse episode, yes. who start off aged about like eight and ten, and end up just fully like my age. Oh fuck! <laughs> yes. Yeah, but by the end of the episode, they talk to one of them who is like already like graduated from uni. Yeah, it's it's really it's a strange it's a strange thing as as like as slowly my my approach to the eldest daughter went from that's a child to hello. <laughs> like but brief moment like fuck am i a nonce wait no she's just like my age like that's fine she has age like i was also a child once (laughs) that's fine so are you are we gonna are we gonna open a new volume called britonology to the lighthouse yeah so let's hear Um, about this shit well we meet we meet the couple and the couple are um Sort of frosted tips, soul patch, wide Keir Starmer. <laughs> oh fuck! This guy is so incredible. He's it's like, what was the guy's? Is it Nick? Is that his name? Oh god! It was, uh, it was Nick or Martin or something like this. Yeah, yeah. he it, works it's, it's in the music business, man. And they're like showing you all of his like gold records or whatever. He's like a record producer, and then they're showing you that he's made a load of. And this is where it gets very Nathan Barley. Like lots of his <laughs> money was made from a series of dance compilation CDs he 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 produced in the nineties that are called like Equilibrium or something. Euphoria, <laughs> Euphoria, fuck. Yeah, and apparently he's still mm. getting substantial royalties off of these. When yeah. we start the show, and like, I think it might even be like 2012 when they start yeah. filming. This. I think it's even earlier. I think it's like 2006. Ooh. I think 2012 is like the first revisit. Yeah, maybe so. And so he's he's married. His wife is very long suffering. His wife's name Hazel. Um, mm. she she's like one of these jobs that doesn't sound real. She's like a a, a product buyer or something. <laughs> she's like, yeah, that's, that's cool. Being a woman, aren't we all? <laughs> Be shopping, <laughs> and their official um, job is that I be shopping. <laughs> and their two daughters, and they're gonna—they've they, mm. moved from London 
to uh to North Devon, where they've yeah. bought a 1950s house that looks a bit shit and a bit windswept mm. yeah. on a on a cliff, like fully on a cliff overlooking the ocean. Yeah, this is very like, you know, they're going to spend 20 years finishing a house, which will then be destroyed by climate change. It's like, it's a powerful energy. Yes. Um, and also, they've done this weird thing, because they're like these weird enclaves in Britain, like tiny little slivers of land miles from London that have London prices for some reason. And this mm. bit of Devon is one of them. So they've paid like, I don't know, fucking a million quid for this shit 1950s house on a cliff. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm looking at pictures of it from an article from Devon Live. And mm. genuinely, my take is Devin's friend, friend of the show. Yeah, yeah. The, is it the, the, the building basically looks like, you know, it, it basically looks like the place where you buy coffee in a Tarkovsky movie. Like it just <laughs> there's something very, very strange about it that it doesn't it doesn't even really remind me of any kind of modern architecture so much is that it just looks well it's because the guy had a plan and the plan was he wanted to like move his entire family out of london into an ikea painting you know like yeah the, the sea in it and uh to build a lighthouse he was going to have the original their 50s house demolished and then on this peninsula which is like already visibly eroding he's going to mm. build like a four-story Round lighthouse style house, uh, with like accommodation and like a level beneath it. It's going to have an infinity pool, and it's also going to have a big room at the top that's going to be entirely glazed, called the storm room, where yeah, he can just he's Sebastian he... Gorka. <laughs> I, I mean, essentially, the guy wants to fuck the weather, right? That's the vibe you get from this guy. Yeah, he really he wants to get sucked off by by a storm. <laughs> Keir Stormer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's something else. So, but like, what happens is like, uh, we do this render, which always puts me in mind of the like the way news agencies mm. reported the killing of Osama bin Laden. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a special crawl space in the bottom of the house for <laughs> Saddam Hussein. Yeah, approaches guarded by tribal militiamen, where mm. we, we do a sort of like virtual walkthrough where they show us the like uh, the the different rooms of the house and what it's hoped to look like. Mm. And I I think this is purely designed so that you can hate them more, mm. like. I, th I think by the point where they're like, oh, and he's going to have an infinity pool next to the ocean, is where you're just supposed to be like... Ugh. Yeah, there's some, there's some photos of what it looks like at present from 2021, uh, so from this year, and I follow an account on Instagram called Socialist Modernism that's constantly going around like Bulgaria and taking pictures of decaying buildings, and they <laughs> look like they're in better shape than this, let's be perfectly honest. This is, this is after years and years, because the, the plan is... They're gonna they're gonna build this this they're gonna demolish their fifties house, move into like rented accommodation, and then have this have this lighthouse built within eighteen months or something for one point two million pounds total. That's the that's their budget. Um and everything in this is bespoke. Like obviously all the walls are fucking curved because it's a lighthouse. Um and it's going to be like that. Their, their absolute dream home. It's going to be future proof. They're going to build their own access road, and it's all going to have to be anchored into the bedrock of this peninsula because everything else is just going to erode. Mm. 
Yeah, it's because there's like sandstone and then bedrock. So the sandstone is going to go. And so they have to drive these like 25 foot long, 25 meter long piles down to mm-hmm. the bedrock in order to support this house. <laughs> Basically, the whole thing is very unambitious and it's all going to be fine. Yes. Like, um, and so th- this starts going wrong pretty quickly. They like they d- demolish the, their house. <laughs> yeah, and he, like, he crosses the Rubicon by making his family watch their house be demolished, which is yeah. very funny. And and the, this happens right as the financial crisis happens. Yeah, at, at this point, the sort of the like years and years spooky choral music started happening in my head <laughs> because like, but then oh, the populists, no. the populists took it away because uh, it, essentially one of the things about this guy is that like he has the world's best credit rating for no apparent reason. And yeah, so, he obviously has a shitload of money, but like not still not enough. Like, I don't know what for like whatever this guy clearly like was a music mogul in the fucking nineties and made loads yeah, of he money signed but spent Johannes Vonk. Yeah, but spent over half of it on cocaine, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot well we cannot legally say that he spent over half of it on cocaine, but he has the vibe of someone who spent over half of it on cocaine. And is now he spent like, over Man. half of it on frosting his hair tips. Yeah, that you know what the weirdest thing about the frosted tips is? That he has those in the last bit. He doesn't yeah. have them in 2006 when it would have been acceptable. He has them in like 2017. <laughs> he really does also look like a wide Keir Starmer in the face. It's like is... it's like Keir Starmer meets Guy Fieri. Yeah, yeah. Very strange looking man. Yeah, okay, so the uh, guy's name's Edward, I've just discovered. Ah, okay. But yeah. anyway, the populists take it away because there's a recession. Mm. You may have heard of this in 2008. Have you heard of the for a house built in North Devon on a rock? They're having a lot of trouble with the collapse of Northern Rock. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> so I was just channeling Hussein for a second there. <laughs> and what's really funny is mm. at every turn, and this is why I think it's the best Grand Designs episode because it's like a synecdoche for the whole thing, right? Is at every mm. turn, it, Kevin McLeod, the presenter, will come back every like couple of years. Mm. And every couple of years, the financial crisis is once again worsened. Um, mm. And this guy will say something to him like, yeah, no, I'm in a lot more debt now, um, but I have to keep taking on more debt in order to finish it, in order to pay off the, the original mm. debt. Uh, so I have to keep spending money on this ridiculous lighthouse project. Basically, you've built the Winchester Mansion in Fortnite, and you have to keep spending <laughs> money on it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so it, the the cost of this balloons, uh, and it's like my dream or, of living in an F thirty five. More or less, every couple of years he comes back, he's another million pounds in debt. Um, yeah, who keeps lending this man money? Well, this is the really interesting part: is the like after the uh, the financial crisis stops work. He goes to a non-traditional lender, which I thought in- initially meant Dave Courtney. <laughs> Wonga.com. <laughs> what he does, and I don't know how the fuck he manages this, he borrows half a million quid from a hedge fund to get started, to build like his own house. I think this is just that's just like mates network stuff, honestly, because like you mm. don't really borrow money from hedge funds unless like you know the people who run them. Mm. 
because yeah. they can be fast and loose with their money as much as they want to. It doesn't really matter. But that seems more like a less of an investment and more like, you know, you know, wide Reginald, mm. the guy who owns this <laughs> hedge fund and he lends you money. Reginald Capital mm. uh, <laughs> to Mr. <laughs> or Mrs. Capital. <laughs> but he develops a plan. Uh, and mm. again, this is just like magnificent. It's such a good metaphor, uh, which is that he, in order to pay off the debt on building this expensive, ridiculous house, he's going to build another second expensive, ridiculous house. But slightly less expensive and ridiculous. Yes, on the like, same site. Yeah, the kind of house where if he'd have set his sights on this still quite expensive and ridiculous house to begin with, he would have been fine. Yes. He also calls it the eye. I, I mm. presume as in like the eye of the storm because he wants to be a Bond mm. villain. Yeah. Uh, and also <laughs> fuck the weather. But it's the eye actually because this denounce palace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to eye emoji house. Yeah, that's right. My friend, my friend Jeffrey is coming for a visit. <laughs> and, and like the, the eye is sort of this like modernist bunker house, a bit like the mm. one you saw, Nate. Um, but it still has to be driven into the bedrock because it's you know almost literally being built on sand. Mm. Um, and so. It just keeps absorbing money, and every time that uh, they come back to them, it's very, very funny because the like his wife is like visibly more tense and like visibly detesting him more. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's one point where she says, "If I thought at any point about how much money we have borrowed, I would never sleep." <laughs> I. I, I, I... Do you want to save the big reveal about their marriage for the end, or uh, we can cut this? But oh, uh, it, no, it's they they fully got divorced. I mean, I think that was that was coming pretty pretty early. Yeah, I I, I yeah. expected because in the episode I watched, I was like, is she really on board with this? But in the end, they seemed pretty decently happy. As opposed mm. to yes, when I read this, I'm like, oh yes, they're divorced. That makes sense. Yes, yeah, no. There's there's mm. a bit where uh, the presenter asks them about the about the house, and he he says like, oh, it's like a because the guy says it. It was it was like my childhood dream to live in a lighthouse. Mm. And he says, "Oh, like a little a little boy's uh, you know a little boy's dream." The little girls also turning to the wife, and she says, eh, "More like a nightmare." And I audibly <laughs> cringed. I just I just it was like I had been hit in the solar plexus. I just went. Mm. If you pause, <laughs> oh, if, you pause <laughs> if you pause here, Ooh, you can hear stings. the divorce happening in real time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah, this this woman is envisaging a courtroom, and she's rotating it in her mind. <laughs> it's so it's it's so funny that the, the the towards the end of the episode when Kevin McLeod goes back there for the last time in like 2019 and is talking to the guy, and he's like, "Oh, what happened to your wife?" And he's like, "We we parted company about a year ago." And they <laughs> play just... the like sad music over him, which is mm. like. It feels like sort of adding insult to injury. Uh, yeah. And then he's like, yeah, I ruined that woman's life. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, okay. But also, also by this point, his daughters are girl bosses. And so yeah. they interview one of his daughters who is like back from, back from uni. And they're like, well, what, what, do, you, what do you think should, he should do? And she's like, well, I think she, he should finish, finish the house. Mm. And it's like, I love King Lear. I love watching this guy on a fucking like windswept peninsula get yeah. absolutely driven to ruin by his daughters. 
Yeah, I I love that. Like they're like, yeah, our mum's a pussy. Dad should finish this fucking house. <laughs> she couldn't handle it. <laughs> Fuck that bitch. Finish the lighthouse. Ships have to be kept away from the rocks, Kevin. <laughs> but the other thing is, right? Like it, it as a sort of a spoiler, I guess. By the end of this episode, despite having spent you know almost a decade on it, the house is still unfinished. And, and he spent like four million quid. Yes, he spent four million quid, and what he's created is a kind of like Mornsel Sea Fort. Um, mm. it, it doesn't even have like the, the the cladding on the exterior. By the time we finish, it just is this perfect concrete cylinder with windows in it. And he mm. just says offhandedly, "Yeah, I'm not really popular with some of the locals." <laughs> I think they think it's a bit of an eyesore. And then you look to this town across the bay, which has had its sole sea view perfectly ruined by this one concrete lighthouse directly in the middle of it. Yeah. But also, fuck those guys. This is a yeah. real alien versus predator situation oh, yeah, between Br- British NIMBYs and like rich music producer building <laughs> the world's stupidest house. Years ago, I was driving when I lived in Alaska to see a friend who lived in Fairbanks. And it's a weird drive because on the map, it doesn't seem that far. And it's like maybe an hour and a half flight. But if you drive it, it's easily eight hours. And you go through some parts of Alaska where land obviously is cheap, but it's decently close enough to civilization that if you do like one long trip on a weekend once a month, you can resupply yourself. So it's not like living off grid. And I've seen some of the strangest homes I think I've ever seen in my life in some of these places. Uh, Obviously, you have your cursed A-frames, you have your shipping container homes. But what I one time saw was what effectively looked like if a geodesic dome had tumors and also wasn't (laughs) made out of glass, but rather was made out of some kind of ceramic material. And having watched just this one episode and hearing the second one (laughs) recounted to me, I have this impression that this is just sort of like a recurring, like a Joseph Campbell recurring theme throughout like the history of dudes, that a guy just gets this ambition to build the most fucked house you can possibly imagine. And it's something that arrived to him in childhood. Like this critically cannot occur to you as an adult. It has to have arrived to you at some point like in childhood or like early adolescence that mm. you are going to you are going to live in the fucked house of your dreams and yes. if you have the resources yeah. disposable to you then you're just going to pursue that you know damn the torpedoes and i would make <laughs> fun of it and say this is like a british guy phenomenon but surely it's not like anywhere you go that's remote but close enough that you can live it's without living like a nomad you will see these fucked houses that someone you know, that was the dream and the dream has been realized but there's never been a moment's reflection of like perhaps the dream was mm. not a good one. Me and my wife are going to live in the Logan's Run dome <laughs> in fucking Alaska. <laughs> but like this is this is always the way with grand designs, and you're totally right. There's just a, an idea a guy has, like to build. I want to live in like a, a Celtic roundhouse, or I, I, I want to <laughs> live in like a a grass walled bunker. Uh, it's like every every single one of these things. A lot of these people, you're not even like you don't understand the principles of architecture, but like you haven't even read The Three Little Pigs. Like the ideas that people come up with are just like, dude, no. 
<laughs> just I'm like a dumb guy, but like this is obviously a bad idea. I mean, I remember uh, seeing those that whatever revolutionary group that was that says that they were they had like taken over some land and they were going to build like a compound out in the middle mm. of nowhere and like Black like, Hammer, Black Hammer out in like yes. a really high desert part I'd of watch the Black Hammer Grand Designs, New episode. Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, somewhere along those lines. And I just remember thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, I took a hike when I was 11 in New Mexico and thought like it would be so fucking cool to live on this mountain. But I never there was never a point in my adult life. And I was like, no. I must return with a V. I must recapture that moment and live on a mountain in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like, there's this movie called Into the Wild that's kind of about this, and it doesn't really go well. So, you know, it's just like, as you said, Milo. has exceeded his budget on this bus in rural Alaska. <laughs> uh, like, you, like, like you said, Milo, like there's this extent to which it's like, not only have you not consulted with, sen- you know, a sort of sensible approach to architecture, but you haven't read The Three Little Pigs. Like, there's just yeah. no groundwork done here. <laughs> The Absolutely best part none. the best part is when they get mad at their own architects or they get mad at their own workmen. And occasionally oh, the most yeah. quietly subversive part is when they will interview, you know, the the glazer who is putting together their custom fabricated argon filled glass. Who is mm. just like, well, I guess I better not drop it then. Yeah. Uh there's, I also really enjoyed the repeated appearances of Crane Baz yes. <laughs> over a number of years, who just yes. keeps moaning about how stupid the house is. <laughs> <laughs> Crane Baz has two teeth visible, and yeah. like, th- there's a great bit where where the guy comes up to him in like what is fully like a, a, a decent gale, um, mm. like it's it's sea state bad off the coast, and he's just mm. like, um, wh- why's why's the work stopped? And Crane Baz has to explain to him, well, you're trying to get me to lift a bunch of like architectural steel on a crane in a in a storm, and if it if it, it the wind, it's gonna blow the thing, and I'm not, it, it's gonna hit the house. Just just incredible. Yeah, and then and then Edward just has to like nod and be like, ah, oh, yes, I see. I guess <laughs> you have kind of a quitter attitude, but like I, I do take your point. <laughs> yeah, just like watching these sort of like. Uh, Middle, upper middle to upper class, like sort of paterfamilias guys get like destroyed by hubris. Is that's yeah. the appeal of the show to me? I can imagine um, him just sitting there, and Verhosha didn't have to deal with this. <laughs> it's like trying, I'm trying to get some Chinese workmen in who won't be afraid of the wind. <laughs> I need some people who are truly desperate <laughs> to work on this project. The CIA I mean, from- keeps fucking airdropping plasterers, but I always catch them in the night before they can show up on the work site. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about other Grand Designs episodes, and like mm. the the other one that comes to mind is a guy in London who is like a obviously very posh because f- former like Scots Guards officer. Who, oh yeah, anyone anyone who is an officer in the Guards just light speed posh. Yes, like that is a real like I know a couple of like normalish guys who when they when they were doing like the Sandhurst interviewing at regiments thing interviewed at like the household cavalry I think and they were like I and these are guys who went to Cambridge but are just kind of normal and they were like mm. fuck those guys were posh they were like I just couldn't <laughs> do it they were like literally they said they were sat outside the interview and one of the and one of the captains walked through and chatted to one of the other interviewees and was like Hugo Hugo how are you doing oh I was in Afghan with your brother and how is the rugger at Exeter and he was like I'm leaving <laughs> like, I'm just I'm going I'm going to another fucking regiment well, this this guy bought a like um a, a- a graveyard gatehouse in central London 
and tried to uh, successfully, in fact, yes, I've seen renovated this one. renovated a lot of it like underground. But a large part of his like dispute was with I think it was like Haringey Council, might have been like Brent Council, where he wanted private access to the graveyard after hours for <laughs> normal unexplained reasons. reasons. <laughs> Yeah, because he's like renovating like a public toilet in a graveyard <laughs> to turn into a house. It just sounds like the most powerful Baz thing. Just like, love me graveyard, love me toilet. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't yeah, like it, so, it's a crematorium. For, imagine being the council planning officer who gets like, you know, the application from, you know, Major Reginald Sinjin Smythe retired. Like, mm. yeah, can I put a private gate into this graveyard so I can just walk around well though, that's the thing too yeah. is that you're you imagine your normal day of getting planning applications from 18 different guys named gaza who want to add like a third story to their buy to let property that they found someone <laughs> who's willing to do it for ten thousand pounds and then all of a sudden onto your desk comes this application for like i'm gonna live in a toilet and i need to have private seance <laughs> access to some graves like that's that's, that's it's some so because he's basically like fucking danger mouse or some shit like what if danger mouse had been to like fetty's college <laughs> like, I want, to, like, I want to live in a subterranean lair under a fucking toilet in a graveyard. What's also really funny is the way, Batman like, an origin story, but his parents were killed by toilets. <laughs> the way planning authorities are shown in grand designs, it's always like because, like, we we follow the the mm. people building them. It's always like, oh, the the, the tyrants at the local council have refused to grant permission for me to build a series of anti-tank bunkers across this nature reserve. <laughs> <laughs> and in a couple of them, they just go ahead anyway, just without planning. Uh, and it, like, are then surprised when the council are like, no, you actually do have to like take this back down again. Yeah. Never, never get into a dispute with the fucking council. It, it is interesting to me that this is something that I've learned from my own sort of digging with regard to like what is possible to construct with or without permission because, you know, mm. I live, if, if, if the London property market did actually collapse, I would probably be okay with buying the house that I live in now, but there's no mm. way in hell that I'm going to pay, you know, what it's valued at because it's, it's obscene. And we've talked about this before, but I did you find need a it, soul patch for that. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I did find it very funny to learn that, for example, um, loft conversions and things of those natures, le legitimately adding an additional story to your home does not require planning permission from the council so long as it does not fundamentally alter the front facade of your house. So effectively, like... Yeah, anything then, that doesn't change the exterior, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, you, you can, can do you can, but you can basically do it. But it did make me laugh because there's the there's the generous and the not so generous interpretation. The generous interpretation is like, okay, yeah, well, you know, if you're gonna, because there's not too far from me, there's a guy who's painted his house like a like a ska kid's tennis shoes, like it's purple <laughs> with black checkerboards all over. I'm not joking. Um, oh. Obviously, doing something like that, like you can imagine, might cause some 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 frustration with your neighbors. But the yeah. not so generous, the not not generous interpretation. It's basically like as long as your house still looks just as much like shit as all the other houses around it, we don't <laughs> care how nice you make it in back. And that to mm. me is sort of like the the planning permission brain, I suppose. That like, yeah. but then also you do see when people you know make uh, like Tower of Kefka level fucking alterations to their home to add more rental rooms. So I do kind of understand the the oh. you know 
the that's drive. Also, that's also very British. It's just taking a shit house and just turning it into a mansion for like no mm. reason when you could have just gone and bought a nicer house. Like um, there were, uh, when I was at school in Essex, um, there were some very, very wealthy people at my school, but who ha- were like, the most like baz guys you can imagine like they all had like dave courtney money like no one was quite sure how they'd made their money but it was all like dodgy as fuck and there was this one family who uh they had bought a detached house in harlow that was like a pebble dash like it was probably like a four-bedroom house it was like a decent size and they had turned it into west fork from dallas (laughs) <laughs> like they had built a fucking Greek colonnade in front of this pebble dash house. I uh, I got had an indoor swimming pool. <laughs> like it was absolutely deranged. I had a friend like that in middle school that we went to his house and I actually got in trouble for some of the rude things that I had said because I didn't realize his mom was spying on us because uh, they had multiple stairwells to access the room that like that was like the playroom or sort of like den that they had mm-hmm. because they had bought an old farmhouse and then Winchester mansioned it. So it just had like wings upon wings upon wings of like interlocking additions and things along those lines. And if I remember correctly, like it was his mom, his dad, his brother, his sister, and him. So there was five people in a house that was probably a farmhouse that was probably built to be something along the lines of like 1,200 to 1,600 square feet. And they had made it into like a 5,000 square foot house. Like, and so that, that tendency definitely exists. But I guess the thing for me that's so hilarious about it in Britain is that oftentimes it's being done in row houses or like detached homes mm. that are might as well be row houses. Like they're, they're very narrowly yeah, confined yeah, yeah. to the land yeah, that they're no, on. There's and no so- land. There's no space apart from, for some reason, the massive plots that these guys get yeah, from yeah, like yeah, yeah. Being, being a product buyer <laughs> or whatever is mm. enough to enable you to, to get yeah. this, you know, this like. It's been a very good know, year in the bee shopping business exactly yeah and i guess that also could be you know indicative of the fact that these always mm. seem to be built you said there have been episodes of it where they're outside london but this this oftentimes or they're inside london rather but this seems mm. to be outside london and to me at least i do find yeah, it it's funny. often in the middle of fucking nowhere yeah that, that you know uh you have decided to you know to basically create the fucking centre pompidou like in just the, <laughs> in the middle of wiltshire or something like that yeah You're just like yeah yeah all right uh uh, okay, everything around here looks like a thatched cottage. I'm going to build what looks like the most haunted McDonald's play area, and it's my dream home. <laughs> His four-story Ronald McDonald statue is under question due to budgetary concerns. <laughs> um, well, there's a really funny bit in the middle of the Lighthouse episode where the girls get off the bus from school, just effectively on this fucking windswept coastal road. Like, I can't believe the school bus even stops there. And then they just stood on the corner of this road watching their only house get demolished. <laughs> it's like good day at school, girls. Yeah, we're just destroying our house. One of the one of them's like, oh, I used to really like where my bedroom was. It's just heartbreaking. You just watch it being destroyed. Oh my god, there's one point uh, quite early in the episode, Alice, which I'm sure you remember, where the girls say they've been doing a car boot sale to raise money oh for the house. Oh my god, yeah. And you're just like, oh, oh, hun. And this is before they've really, like, broken ground. Like, all they've done at this point is, like, demolish a perfectly good house. But, like, yeah. they, they haven't invested the, like, millions of pounds into this yet and they're just like they're already trying to like fucking crowdfund for their dad's weird passion project it, it, it's just way, like mm. yeah it's also the point very where strange you can to really me. see the sort of like the aneurysms beginning to happen is when they're having to build the driveway 
um, because the, the driveway has to be like a bridge because there's no solid ground for it to be built on, and it costs a hundred thousand pounds to build like a fifty foot driveway. And then, like, and then you have like the uh, the 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 architect who's like who's like Lord Fancy, yeah, who's saying it's wonderful. This piece of architecture, you see, and, and he's and he's like and he's like gesturing along like the wall of the lighthouse that's been built, and he's like, look at that double curve there, shoom. Shum, it's majestic. <laughs> building, building curves out of block work is, of course, tremendously difficult. You have to cut and taper the blocks and so on. But the, the play of light on a curve, it's just magical. It's they like, do sorry. love talking about the play of light. Did you have a show? Bond villain design? <laughs> I just keep flashing back to uh, the, that video I found on YouTube of Jeremy Irons consulted on his opinion of the Gherkin. And he's just like, I love the Gherkin because I love curves. And it's just like, it, there's no way to say that without sending, like you said, either mm. a Bond villain, a pervert, or some combination thereof. Yeah, the mm. giant butt plug building. Hey, man, I think the Gherkin is cool personally, but I mean, it, you know, maybe that's just because uh, uh, there it, there was something very unique about it at the yeah. time. Now, now central London skyscrapers are so massive and ugly that like... Yeah, now you, they all look like that. Yeah. Mm. I also well, like, my favorite one is still the walkie-talkie that melts cars. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I like the shard because it's so unironically like an anime villain layer that you mm. just sort of have to accept that there's just like this dagger-shaped affront to God that you see everywhere in London. Like, it's the one building you'll mm. see basically everywhere. So, you know, like... In the grand scheme of things, maybe this was just a decade of um, of sort of Icarus yeah. flying close to the sun when it came Final to architecture. Final Fantasy villains lair where Essex guys can go out for a nice dinner on a Friday night. <laughs> yeah, and where Trash Future will someday have its studios on the very yeah. top. was just right at the top. Emanating oh, yeah. fucking Michael electric Barrymore power. Studio. Yeah. Yeah. You, have the, you have the personal of this guy building his lighthouse or whatever, and then you have the professional, which is the shot. In, in either case, mm. just sort of like... Uh, terrible, terrible projects designed by people who look at curves and go swoosh. <laughs> yeah, and if your architect at any point makes a swooshing noise, you should very much not do that project. Yeah, should, yeah exactly. Yeah. You should not be in business with that person. No, definitely not. Like this is this is a guy who like this architect. I love the architect in this because he's just like jacking himself off constantly about this design, which is destroying <laughs> this guy's family. And of course, because he has no skin in the game whatsoever, he just drew this thing, and these people are stupid enough to try and build it. <laughs> and so, like, he's they're like building his little vision, and he's like he has like no no fucking risk exposure to this whatsoever. Mm. Um, I don't see why it's so challenging. It looked perfectly normal when I designed it in Doom. <laughs> <laughs> Minecraft architect. Um, Sarah Dippen's husband designed this album. <laughs> um, why are all of the toilets already clogged? <laughs> but then, then the really tragic bit is like right at the end, after we've had the divorce part, um, they then start talking about how now he has two possible scenarios as a way out of this project. Scenario one is he they're able to like keep the shitty or like the, the 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 less insane and expensive house that they built and sell the ex really insane and expensive one if they can finish it, which is like that's the best case scenario. There's no way they can afford to live in the insane and expensive one. They've now spent too much money. They can't afford the mortgage. Like they have to sell it. Um, mm. But then the other option is they can't afford to live in either house, and he has to declare bankruptcy. <laughs> 
Well, the worst part is if you if you Google this, it's called um, uh, Chessel Cliff House. Mm. He's still building it. No fucking way. I thought it was done. It's like the guy in South Central Los Angeles or in Compton who basically built like a Gaudi cathedral on yes. like the plot of a of you know a bungalow house. I mean, some people it's their life's work. I hope he gets to live in it someday. But yikes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this guy's not going to get to live in this house. No. So I have to ask. There's an extent to which this reminds me of, in some capacity, this show reminds me of your standard sort of architecture redecorating show, you know, you're sort of trading spaces to some extent, mm. you know, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Like, there's an extent to which uh, it's basically, the the show is entertaining because of the wild folly of the person driving the idea and the sort of straight man is the domestic partner or the roommate or somebody whomever the family having to sort of react to these deranged flights of fancy being very difficult you know very very painfully brought into this world and uh but there to me i don't know if you you both are somewhat familiar with american television i know i i to me like i guess the thing that made this feel a little bit different was that in the U.S., I can't recall any shows like this being as sort of like Jeremy Clarkson adjacent, where you have mm. the sort of like, you know, kind of slightly comic personality host sort of being like, oh, yeah, mm. is this making you divorce each other? Like, do you hate each other now? <laughs> yeah, wow. This is such a wild idea. That's really fucking stupid. Like, there's an extent to which yeah. the, 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 I mean, in, I think it was Trading Spaces, the thing where the woman basically like decorated somebody's basement den with like fucking straw everywhere, like glued straw to the walls. And it just like, <laughs> it was like a country Western theme or some shit. And it looked like God awful garbage. Like there's an extent to which the, the hosts played it straight the whole time. And so mm-hmm. like the comic reveal was you, the viewer, just, just recoiling in horror at the same time as the, the victims. But here it felt like a lot of this is way more knowing. Mm. I think that may yeah. just be. I think that may just be Kevin McLeod. I think that may just be the host yeah. himself, his own like style, and like I think he's a big part of the reason why the show is so compelling is because you do get these shots of him being like, "Oh well, have uh, you know have have you actually come in under budget?" And then it just cuts to this couple and just like. <laughs> it's very like curb your enthusiasm music yeah plays. yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah no i mean i'm inclined to agree i think kevin mcleod is my favorite part about grand designs you've got a guy who's like a qualified architect who just sits there and in a sort of dour way is like yes well you've built a house but how much has it cost you <laughs> financially and emotionally um, yeah there's a point in the in the lighthouse episode where uh, he like the guy the guy is in his like i'm about to get divorced reverie standing in like the skeleton of his storm room at the top and he's like can you imagine what it'll be like to stand here when there's a storm going on and fuck the weather then kevin <laughs> mcleod goes i hope i live long enough <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, get his ass. Get his ass. Get him. Because <laughs> um, I think, like, sort of, I, I think this is that this is an element of. I, I perhaps you have to be British to understand this, but there's this kind of like, it's like Kevin McLeod just taking like rich assholes down a peg or two. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, and I it respect is purely it. Schadenfreude. Absolutely. Because yeah. then you it's get like, the if, opposite. If, we, if, mm, if we have to have. Uh, like, uh, you know, property that's like, uh, the only people mm. who can own their homes are guys who want to, like, build a house to fuck the weather in. 
yeah. then the least we can do is like allow them in their hubris to invite this guy in so we can laugh at them. Oh, absolutely. And, and I would also yeah. say too that there's there's a couple of dimensions here that makes it very very funny that on on one hand the 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 design is horrific like it's just not appealing so this being like such an albatross around their necks like this this quest to design this huge piece of shit and make it actually a, a real thing that's funny in its own right i would also say that even if the design weren't uh as hideous the idea of building your own home operating on the same time scale is like a My Bloody Valentine album coming out is also really funny. And so when you combine those two that, you know, you have this decades long wait, you know, it's sort of like, it's like cross rail times a thousand for a house that sucks, that fundamentally in its conception sucks and is tacky and has no taste. And it's just genuine, genuinely weird. Like the combination of those two is, is very, very funny. Uh, mm. It's also sad because there's a human cost, but like it was a preventable human cost. You know, this what it wasn't like. It wasn't like lightning struck and forced forced this. You know, this guy into bankruptcy. No. There was just there are a million discreet decisions made to yeah. bring him to this point. You can like see all of the off ramps, and at <clears throat> every turn, he like swerves another lane over. Well, and also at the end of the day, I mean, it now looks like Knight Frank are trying to sell this house for like 10 million quid. So he's probably going to be like 5 million in the clear at the end of this if he manages oh. to sell it. If someone buys it, but who's going to buy it? Oh, it's some rich asshole, some Russian oligarch. <laughs> like, come on, Nate, don't, don't play dumb with me. Like, someone will buy that fucking house. Oh my God, that's so <laughs> someone funny. Someone that you're going to hate. Yeah, fair. like someone <laughs> fair. Yeah, someone fair. will be dumb enough. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, and and this I think is where it sort of ties in with its with its uh, you know, its its Yang show, Homes Under the Hammer, where mm. you have uh, Martin What's His Face, who's just like the world's stupidest man who hosts that show and is just doing like the most incredible softball interviews with like the most evil landlords you've ever met in your life. Um, and so like, you've got Kevin McLeod who is fucking taking the rich to task. And then you've got this guy who's like, you know, you meet some guy who clearly owns like 50 houses. Who's just bought one at auction for like 50 grand in fucking hull. And he's like, I'm going to spend the absolute minimum on this. <laughs> I'm going to make it barely livable. And then I'm going to make 10 Romanians live in it. And he's like, great. I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like when it's done. <laughs> um, Within so British respect, property are two mm. wolves. But I, and I think that that's actually a really good point overall, though, is that perhaps one of the reasons why uh, a show like this has an appeal, not just for like the architecture heads, but also for regular people to just laugh at hubris and witness hubris being punished is that this is so out of the ordinary for how the average person in Britain lives mm. that the fact that given this kind of budget, they are often choosing, you know, these, uh, I mean, I keep coming back to, you know, the rhyme of the ancient mariner, the fucking albatross. Like this is these, these albatrosses of homes, mm. I, mm. I guess in a way, because it, it's sort of like a negative escapism, if you will. Because most people, mm. unless they're inheriting a home or they got lucky or they live in a, you know, they happen to have, uh, a good paying job in an incredibly inexpensive part of the country. If you're under 45, owning a home, there are significant structural hurdles to it in this country. Mm. Like it is basically the only asset that is still appreciating, that still and, and, and that still not only retains value but grows in value in you know a country that's seen 
the worst wage growth in Europe since 2008, except, you know, with the exception of Greece, obviously, um, mm. a country where uh, the housing housing prices have doubled over the past 15 years everywhere in the country. But in London, they've increased like fourfold. Um, mm. You know, in real terms, people's wages are worth less than they were in 2008. And, and so you have this situation where most people are renting, most people are house sharing, even into the age where their parents already owned homes. And the government's solution to this is to subsidize schemes for things like help to buy, which is a huge stop to developers. We've talked about to build substandard housing. We've talked about this on the show or joint ownership where you yeah, don't I love even- to live in the cumbernauld fucking mega structure. <laughs> or, you, or you don't own you don't own the full deed to your home because an institutional investor owns the other half and you basically have to pay mm. them rent as well as pay your own mortgage. And that's a solution. That's that's posited as a solution. It's like get people on the on the property ladder by selling them half investment vehicles for homes that are built to the same quality standards as help to buy homes. So you have this huge conundrum with with just substandard housing. I mean, I could go on that like if if you look at stuff, you know, along the lines of the, the average size of houses, some of the smallest in Europe, the mm. insulation or energy efficiency of these houses, the worst in Europe. Like mm. most people in Britain live in what would be considered lower than average quality housing. And it gets way, mm. way worse at the extremes when you start to look at, you know, places like Croydon Council or Barnet Council, the way that they mismanage things, uh, places mm. like uh, parts of Cornwall where like they put people who are on council lists for housing, for emergency housing, literally in vinyl tents in fucking like camping parks. Like you have a really acute problem and then you've got a guy who's just like, I'm going to fuck the concept of weather itself, but I have to build a five-story altar yeah, on a cliff to do that. Th yeah. Those are the only two kinds of housing you can build. You can either build Barrett homes or you can build the weather fucking house. Yeah, you're either wearing like a shambling woolen tunic and living in a wattle and daub hut, trying to subsist off of your herd of goats, or you're or you're like eye of the storm record producer, like tripping balls on two CB while you fuck the weather in your storm <laughs> tower. Like those are the two kinds of guy you can be in Britain, apparently. And this and this goes back to something that we've said about Britain a lot, which is that like the fundamental character of the British people. Is not that they want to be the guy in the storm tower fucking the weather. They no. want the guy in the storm tower fucking the weather to have a bad time. They want like, him to be as miserable as they are. Exactly. Yes. You don't want your life to be any badder. You want everyone else's lives to be as bad. Yeah, I mean, it is weird how uh, that would get passed off as snobbery. People would say that we're being just shitheads about it, but... I feel as though there's so much evidence in how these things play out, both in sort of popular culture and in politics and just in your sort of take any random vox pop on the subject. It feels like that's a conclusion you can't avoid. That, mm. that genuinely, like you said, it's either eating fucking pea soup for like the fifth time in your waddle and daub hut or, you know, you've effectively built the hanging garden in a place where it rains 300 days out of the year. <laughs> and I mean, sick, you know, it fucking rules. Uh, but I, I appreciate you introducing me to this because weirdly, like some British, um, some British reality TV is so surreal in its desire to sort of find the weirdest people and put them in a jar and shake it up like they're bees that I just, I can't, I can't un even under, really understand, understand the appeal, but shows like mm. this, like I genuinely, 
if this if I were watching TV and this were on, I would watch it to see fo- well. you know to see folly punished and hub- hubris <laughs> brought low. Like it's just, and you realize like that's all it is. That's really all this it is. is. Just, this is just like Euripides all over again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should uh, you should introduce Cynthia to this because I think she would enjoy the insanity of it. Yeah, I probably mm. will. I mean, she she definitely was a fan of the bad episodes of tr- Trading Places. Uh, because she, or was it trading spaces? Because she, she just, she enjoys seeing hubris brought low and she has a much higher tolerance for cringe and secondhand embarrassment than I do. Mm. So maybe the reason why I enjoyed the episode I saw was that Adrian was like a fundamentally nice guy and he seemed mm. like he had his shit together and he loved his wife and he loved his kids and like he just was trying. Love me scuba diving. <laughs> he, 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 he was trying to be you know, as professional about as he could, as like, you know, meticulous as he could in his pursuit of this very, very non-standard, but fundamentally still very mm. humane home. Mm. And like I said, it was kind of the live, laugh, love Barbican. I did find it very, <laughs> very funny though at the end because um, Kevin McLeod is showing uh, the camera around and showing some of the decoration choices they've made. And, you know, the ways you kind of make, you try to like create warmth in a space that is fundamentally everything is concrete. And I got the impression that his wife picked uh, some of the artwork, maybe the majority of the artwork, who knows, um, in order to decorate it. And one of the art installations she had was a, and I'm not joking, a glowing pink neon sculpture of a noose, like a noose to hang yourself with. And there's like literally on the stairwell, it's a big glowing neon noose in, sort of in the house. In the grand house. designs, that is Chekhov's fucking noose. <laughs> like, like Act three, someone's going to use it. And I mean, like it's I mounted mean, on the, the wall. Those, you, you can't hang those, yourself with it. But it's just I found it very, very funny. I'm like, that's yeah. the image you picked. That's the icon. Well, it's great because you get this sort of window into this kind of like, oh, this is this is people's idea of interior design. And my favorite of these was another episode where a very Baz guy, essentially mm. like one of your one of your Harlow guys with a colonnade, except he mm. didn't want to build a colonnade. He wanted to build a um a Celtic roundhouse, which he did oh. because he had like an inn with all of the builders. And so you'd see him go around the site like clapping people on the back and like lightly threatening people to make stuff get done on time. But his wife uh, decorated the house and one of the things that she put in the house was a um, uh, a little like maybe two foot tall statuette of an alien, like a you know a grey alien from, yeah, like, from the Roswell 90s or whatever, uh, mm. smoking a massive blunt. <laughs> Oh hell yes. yeah! Fucking yes, hell yeah. fucking like a T-shirt you could buy on like a seafront stall in Marbella in the yes. mid two thousands. Yes, yes. Bugs um, Bunny spanking Lola Bunny on the ass in my in my Celtic roundhouse. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can find a picture here to put it in the in the Zen group chat. Uh, I'm, his name. I'm also very taken with the idea of like Celtic David Courtney, D- <laughs> David McCourtney. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You buy an outfit from G Star Raw, but you put butter in your hair just to make sure you complete the look. Mm. Yeah, that's fucking right. Uh, yeah, they put this in. They put this in their music room. Um, and yeah, no, just in, just incredible, powerful, very powerful stuff. Um, I mean, the other thing that, that this uh, embarking on this grand designs odyssey with you has made me realize that we need to do is. We probably need to do an episode on on cursed like British reality TV of the mid two thousands. Oh, Big Brother and stuff. Yeah, Big Brother, fucking wife swap. 
I remembered the other week. Now, there was a show. Wait, there Ooh. was a show? Because, like, I mean, that was, was a, a show called Wife Swap. There was yeah. a joke in Chappelle's show. There was a whole skit about trading spouses. I didn't realize the Brits did it for real. Oh, we fully did. Yeah, I don't <sighs> think they were supposed to have sex. I'm sure some of them did. <laughs> like, it was more of a, like, get another woman in to discipline your kids and cause havoc. Fucking um, Christ. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, it was, it was like a big, it was, it was a whole thing. They did a celebrity one, too, where uh, J- John McCrerick seriously upset someone. I, I just recall this as, like, kind of a, a token of the type of personality that would be attracted to being on these shows. And I just Mm. recall this, you know, as you mentioned it, that the guy who won the first season of Survivor, I believe he either won or he was second place, but he did very, very well in Survivor, was subject to, I believe, a criminal charge, if not a like a formal, like a legal complaint. Because when he got back from Survivor, from all of the stuff they had been doing, his adopted son, who was probably 10 or 11, had like gained some weight while he was gone. So, he basically decided to like put his tween child through like aggressive marine boot camp at home and like- <laughs> My God. <laughs> like force him to get up in the morning and go do long bike rides and ruck marches and basically just like punish him and like humiliate him for having gained a little bit of weight. And I was just, like, that to me- is such a window into the personality of the kind of human being who'd be like, yes, I want to get humiliated on TV. Mm. And like, I, I'm not going to say I've never recovered from it, but mm. like having seen that window or having seen an interview uh, after the first guy was let go from the first episode or the beginning of the season of American Big Brother where the guy compared himself to Jesus, I was just sort of like, this is, th- these are weird people. And, and like, Marine you, Todd mindset. You kind of just don't mm. want, you just, you don't want to, to, to use a slightly woo term. You don't really want that energy in your life in any capacity. Mm. I mean, uh, off topic, but I'm just looking at the picture that Alice sent of this Celtic roundhouse and it looks like the fucking Dr. Phil house. Yeah, what? but it's got a weed smoking alien in the bottom yeah, left corner. What the there. fuck is going on with that <laughs> pool room? It's <laughs> absolutely oh, incredible. The sofa was like is divided up into individual seats oh with armrests with cup God. holders. Dude, I gotta tell you this. A friend oh, of mine man. in high school, his dad like got really rich in the eighties and early nineties doing um like he just knew how to operate video editing equipment. And so he just like made TV ads for local TV for businesses around Indianapolis and like made a ton of money doing that. Cause like at the time, you know, it was sort of the podcasting of its day, few people knew how to do it. And yeah. um, he designed a custom home that he had built that had like his own karate dojo because his dad was super into karate, of course. But the, the, the style was not too dissimilar what the, to what, what the fuck is a dojo? It's just a room. Yeah. Like, what, a separate, what are you doing? It was, it, was to like, make it? it was like a separate annex with all the karate stuff stuff but um okay. you had this Paul has spent 25 million pounds trying to redo the opening segment of the animatrix but what <laughs> i will say is that the design was basically like early 90s late 80s memphis style everywhere everything was like gray and neon pink throughout the entire house like this was oh. the this was the design approach through the whole thing if i remember correctly the house was gray on the exterior with hot pink trim like it was it was fundamentally oh, an Essex house. One of one of the strangest homes I've ever been in, and the fact that it was in 
you know, suburban Indianapolis made it even stranger. So in a way, like we can laugh at Britain, but that that impulse, you give people money when they're good yeah. at something, they may not necessarily have taste and chances are good. You do wind up with a Celtic yeah. roundhouse what, with an alien. What kind of house is Riley going to build? Um, <laughs> the, I think though, the thing, I think, and that, that does highlight, I think, a key difference between like the British grand design, like, because like the British grand design psycho is always, it's always like, some like big architectural project that like some architects mm. are like salivating over whereas like the american one is like a monstrosity more in the traditional sense it's like incredibly vulgar like the dr phil house like everything's fucking gold or like everything's like monster energy print or like whatever it might be like it's something that's like so completely divorced from like I feel like the the American mansion of that it's of so that completely regard divorced. You could have just stopped. Yeah, there. <laughs> the American mansion of that nature. It feels like something a fourteen year old boy would build, mm. almost <laughs> always. Well, you know what? This is what happens when Karate you house. when you give dudes money and they can design <laughs> things however they want. Like you think yeah. that there's like money equals access to stuff, so that you have like a better sampling of things, and you just have more options. But no, in the grand scheme of things, you give dudes money and they build the house version of the way Kevin Smith dresses himself. It just happens <laughs> that way every single time. Yeah. Women women be shopping, but men be building. Men That's be true. wearing floor-length jorts. It just happens. Yeah. <laughs> Let me build the limp biscuit house. Build build the house out of like structural denim. Oh, someone's going <laughs> Someone's done that. I remember once Emma and I were looking at Airbnbs in on uh, like nearish the West Coast in the States, and we found one in Idaho where someone had built a giant wooden house that was in the shape of a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to like go into like the bottom of one of the legs and then go up like a spiral staircase into the body of the house, which was like twenty feet off the ground. <laughs> Absolutely insane. I it just had wanna, ears. I, I just want to have a house. Like I just want a normal yeah, house. I just want to like, like you know, shoot bottles and cans off of a fence. Yeah, yeah. I just it's you know what it it is. Alice has spent twenty five million so far <laughs> on the specially designed shooting fence. Yeah, there's like uh, there's like a piece to camera with Kevin McLeod, and it's me and Chris, and Chris just looks like furious and disappointed, and I'm like, well, the only way out is through, and I've I've got another five million pounds in credit to finish this fence. Yeah, and I'm hoping <laughs> that I can leverage that. The camera pans around, and it's like a relatively normal clapboard house, but the shooting gallery part is that you're using a Davy Crockett bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little lead shielding. <laughs> mm, yeah. Shooting galleries had to be specially imported from Germany because it's made of a new kind of concrete glass mixture which will enable the cans to balance even in extreme weather. <laughs> just cuts to like a builder just shaking his head. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, what, that was, uh, that's what my, yeah, that's what my grand design would be. That's what yeah. my grand design would be. Yeah, you're wearing you're wearing a Lithuanian army uniform with traffic warden rank slides, <laughs> Just direct, directing fucking builders with a conductor's baton. Well, like I, this leads me to a question, which is that like if you had th th this kind of money 
And you you had also been like hexed by one of those witches who's trying to hex the mm. Taliban. So oh, like yeah. you, the you, TikTok you, grand designs yeah, witches. Yeah, yeah. You you have you have a large amount of money and a large amount of credit, but you can't just build a normal house. You have to build a weird house. What's your what's your deal gonna be? What are you gonna fucking gonna try and do with that money? Because I'm definitely doing the like uh <laughs> building an entirely lead lined kill house. <laughs> Alice wants to live in a paintball arena. That's right. I, I'll, I'll tell you. It really depends on where I am. But one time, out of curiosity, I was looking at how much stuff cost in areas around the part of Southeast London I live in, and I just took off the budget limit and was just like, "Fuck it, let's just see." And I yeah, saw go- going from like price high to low, like some kind of French king. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I found I found uh, a very nice like four story townhouse row house in Newcross that had been remodeled in a style that I would basically describe as sort of like contemporary mid century modern plus Persian carpets, but with some really weird art choices. And in one place in the bedroom, there was that same design, like mid-century modern wood furniture, very nice Persian carpet, you know, wainscoting, uh, skirting boards, you know, crown molding, and then an enormous Mm. painting of an anime girl with huge tits. And I was sort of like, (laughs) in a way, like this is pretty unambitious, I suppose, because yeah, it's not like a a, a nuclear kill house like we were describing with Alice. And Mm. I can only imagine for Milo that he was like, you know, I hate Mitt Romney, but I want his car elevator for my multiple BMWs. But I think for me, it's more like there's a challenge to like the detail and very tastefully sort of, you know, being able to dial in every detail of what you want. And like maybe what I secretly want is to live in one of those like isometric drawings of a house that people share on fucking Pinterest. But like, I just kind of want to have a place where I can dial in the details for like in a custom, like in accordance with yeah, my own taste. have giant anime paint. Exactly. And it's like, because yeah. if I had the budget, it to renew to remodel and fucking furnish and decorate that goddamn four-story townhouse in new cross i would have mm. found a better anime painting like i just yeah, simply, or i would have had anime paintings in every fucking room it's you called consistency the sword on the wall yeah exactly i would have rare materia housed somewhere in the building itself you like, have like a stately home like a like a gun room but it's all buster swords yeah <laughs> Didn't Nate, Nate's got like a pink laser shooting into the air from the top of his roof. <laughs> um, you know what? Don't yeah. no, don't knock my style. All right, it's very personal. I, <laughs> I'm definitely a sucker for that shit. Like I 100 percent like one of my friends' parents have like a big end of end of row townhouse in Oxford, which they've built a massive fuck off like glass extension on, meaning their house is like half like kind of like like regency splendor and half like Bauhaus fucking like uh mm. futuristic shit and it is absolutely my shit like i would absolutely do that like i would absolutely be like the russian oligarch building a fucking like underground swimming pool and then a sub basement car park <laughs> in my like you know 18th century townhouse yeah. you want um, the like join between like some regency wall and your new glass wall and kevin yeah. mcleod enthuses about it yeah, exactly. How it plays with the light. I want to be. I want to be the the envy of my of my bougie Islington neighbours. Because you know? <laughs> I can never leave London now. I'm too far down the rabbit hole. Like, so what you're as, basically as, saying as, is you want to live in Jeremy Corbyn's fucking mid century council flat. 
No, that's the, you completely know what I'm saying. <laughs> that's, the, that's the absolute opposite of what I'm saying. But you want to be the envy of your Islington neighbors. So clearly you want to live in a fancy million pound house like Jeremy oh, Corbyn. Oh, I see. I see what you mean. You're, you're, playing, you're playing the sun with me. You're um, doing a, a bit of comedy there. A bit of a little, a little joke. On the on the highly serious Britonology subsection of the Trash Future podcast, <laughs> um, uh, I was going to say, oh yeah, because uh, our our accountant, the, the wonderful Nick, the accountant, is always advising me that I could just like move to Nottingham and buy a house, and I'm like, but yeah, then I would be in Nottingham. <laughs> There's a key flaw in this plan. Well, you know what, Milo, I do believe that someday you'll find a place for yourself, and I do believe that it'll probably have Mitt, Mitt Romney's car elevator. And I do, <laughs> in my heart, imagine that the BMW will only marry get Mitt Romney. Exactly, right. exactly. So We're all going to live on Mitt Romney's compound. Well, I suppose that brings us to the end of Grand Designs then, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, check it out, folks. Yeah, yeah, it's very entertaining. I'll, I'll say that. I'm very I, sorry I that I did most of my parents' property programs that they would watch, but this one, I have to say, it has a certain something about it. I'm sorry that I watched the wrong episode, but I'm glad I did because I feel like for my own sort of my own sort of we got more of a diversity, sensitive of nature. Yeah. I, I like to see the one episode where the people come out stronger in the end and they don't fucking ruin their own lives. Uh, but mm. uh, this lighthouse sounds pretty cool too. Oh yeah, you should you should check it out. <laughs> <laughs> it goes There's lots of well. shots of this guy like hanging out in his storm room, which is totally unfinished, like bare concrete floor. All of the windows still have like mm. tape on them. And it's just like I can't even jerk off in here. No. <sighs> and that is the real tragedy. That's right. Jacking off in a cagoule because there's no heating in you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the grand, That's well, the fate of the grand. There was, there was genuinely a bit where like there's a there was a bunch of like construction materials stacked against a wall, and somebody had spray painted "Please finish" with an exclamation mark above them. And I'm like, mm. oh great, it's actually now producing like its own level design. It's got its own <laughs> like instructional graffiti. <laughs> Yeah, we've got a, we've got a fucking architectural poltergeist <laughs> who's frustrated with the progress of the work. Well, Alice, thank you very much for making time to be on Britonology today. Absolute pleasure, always a pleasure. Mm, you're you're a dynamo of opinions as always. <laughs> um, uh, Alice, is there anything you'd like to plug on this your own podcast? <laughs> you could also listen to my two other podcasts. Well, there's your problem, which is on YouTube, mm. or Kill James Bond. Uh, which is available anywhere podcasts can be found. It's available at eonproductions.com. And if you, if, you, if you weren't following me on Twitter at Alice Everzandum already, I don't know how. We're, we're several years into this parasocial relationship. You yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of offline hawks, and it always surprises me, because I'm like, if you're offline, great, good for you, but why are you listening to this? <laughs> I mean, the thought had crossed my mind the other day that if someone wasn't familiar with Alice saying that she'd nut so hard she'd shoot down the International Space Station, then like two-thirds of the episode we did with Alex would be unintelligible to them. Incomprehensible bits. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know what? That's the nature of the game. You know, you gotta, you gotta get in on those bits early and you never let go. That's how parasocial relationships work. Yeah, that's right. Get an NFT of Alice shooting down the ISS. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Thank you for being Patreon subscribers, and we will talk yeah. to you soon. Thank you for being a $10 Patreon subscriber if you're listening to this. Extra yes. hogs. I'm building a Celtic roundhouse <laughs> with all your $10 subscriptions. <laughs> 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 Ha 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 ha!
weed smoking alien. <laughs> if he ever does finish the lighthouse, then you know deep down that like if you put put a fucking your ear up against the window and hold you cup your hand to it during a storm in Devon, then you might hear moan dot wav emanating from the coast. <laughs> a special a special sea conch that goes, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that fucking gray alien totally has a flashlight in it. Yeah. Someone's fucking that alien, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Well, goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>